Hey everybody, welcome to Grounded Truth, a podcast where we gather some of the world's most influential data scientists, machine learning practitioners, and innovation leaders for conversations in relevant topics in AI today. I'm your host, John Singleton, co-founder and head of success at Watchful, a machine teaching platform for data-centric AI. Try Watchful for free today at www.watchful.io. And please, if you like this content or any of our other content or want to be uh, kept abreast of whenever we post anything, like, subscribe, follow us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere where you can find podcasts today. Today, I'm super excited. I'm joined with my co-founder and Watchful CEO, Shine Mahanti. Hey, Shine. Hello. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, really, I think is a continuation of our uh podcast last week is really diving in on uh, how do we embed LLM capabilities in a uh, in a performant and uh, reasoned way with and dealing with how do we deal with hallucinations how do we take advantage of all of these things and what are some like concrete kind of uh, approaches we can take to implementing LLMs uh, so maybe we can start off is like why do we need why do we even concern ourselves with trying to control LLM output like, why do we need techniques like uh, prompt chaining or prompt ensembling or chain of thought uh, to deal with LLM outputs? Why is this an issue? I mean, I, I think the obvious answer is like, we want the LLM to do a thing that we want it to, right? So we prompt it, we try it, it doesn't quite work. We have to use more sophisticated, more sophisticated techniques to achieve the outcome that we want. So we reach for these various techniques to achieve whatever it is that we're trying to get the LLM to do for us. And we can kind of break those down into, we talked a little bit about this last week, was I think there's like two sets of hallucinations you kind of have to deal with. It's like one, it hallucinates just brand new data, doesn't exist at all, maybe in the even incorrect format. Uh, and the other is it hallucinates incorrect data by concept. It maybe looks and smells and at first glance looks right, but the actual content that's delivered is wrong and just hallucinating basically essentially a wrong answer, not necessarily wrong data. I, I think that's true, but maybe for folks who are just tuning into this episode and haven't heard the last one, maybe we can just start with like breaking down the world of like what LLMs do into like two categories. Yeah. One is purely generative. Like it's all generative at the end of the day, but um, one set of tasks are just inherently generative. So I have a set of bullet points and I want to turn those into an email or I want you to write me like a cover letter or I want you to write like some PR newswire type of thing. Um, these are all examples of I have a fixed shape of input and I'm trying to get the LM to produce an output that looks and smells reasonable, but like there's a wide spectrum of acceptable, like acceptability there. Um, so that's, that's like one example of things that LLMs are used for. And I would say that like, oftentimes when people are interfacing directly with like chat GPT, those are the types of tasks that they're doing most of the time. But then if you think about like AI as it's been in the enterprise for a while, most of the tasks that AI has classically been used for have been discriminative in nature, meaning like some sort of classification or segmentation task. So given this data classified into these like five buckets or given this document, extract the PII or PHI from it. Um, and what's interesting is that the shape of that problem is uh, opposite to the shape of the other problem. Meaning uh, in the case where I have bullet points and I wanna turn it into emails, um, I have a fixed shape of input and I have an unfixed shape of output. Um, 
in the, in, in the case of discriminative models, I have a fixed output. I look at a document, I know how it should be classified. I, I look at a document, I can see the PAI or PII, I know what needs to be extracted. So I'm trying to get the LLM to perform that task, and I don't necessarily know what input I need to give it. So those are broadly the two shapes of problems. And then within kind of like that discriminative world, um, hallucinations can take kind of like two different forms. One is the answer is just wrong, right? Um, you're trying to get a document to be classified into like, um, I don't know, NDA or like um, a PO, for instance, and it sees an NDA and it says it's a PO, right? E even though you gave it fundamentally like the same information that you've given for the hundred other NDAs it looked at and correctly classified it, for whatever reason, got the wrong answer here. That's one type of hallucination. The other type of hallucination is it looked at your document and the two options you gave it were PO or um, NDA and it came up with like employment contract. So that's another type of hallucination where it invented something that wasn't part of your prompt. Um, and another example of this is, as you mentioned, like hallucinating data that wasn't there. So imagine I have some documents and I'm running it through this process and I have it extract PII. It might say that like, um, I don't know, Cheyenne Mahanti was somewhere in the document when this could actually be a document about John Singleton. And so it could have just like straight up made up my name. Uh, and that just wasn't in the document. So now the question is like, okay, downstream of this system. Pretty impressive that it picked your name, by the way. Out of all Pretty nice, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I like being represented. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, like now, now my question is, okay, as a software engineer who's integrating this system, do, does that mean that I now have to be the arbiter of like all these various edge cases that could possibly occur? Like whose job is it now to like denoise the system? And how do we reason about that? So, and, and ultimately, yeah. it's just fundamentally different from how I, even other machine learning and AI solutions have been implemented in the past. And pretty much all of software engineering is built on is, you know, this kind of uh, strong contract, so to speak, between input and output. LLMs fundamentally break that. And we are seeing those early use cases in being successful in those generative workflows that are purely generative. And you know, I like referring to them as like generate, then edit, where the cost of being wrong, the cost of hallucination is low. But for these discriminative use cases where we're trying to programmatically leverage the output uh, that presents some kind of unique problems uh, for the software engineer trying to embed those into a system. Uh, and the cost of being wrong is a broken experience, potentially a broken application. So uh, having to have a Focusing on that, I think, is uh, incredibly important, and it's a much hairier problem, I think, that uh, certainly I think we've, as we've dived into uh, getting consistent outputs out of LLMs, is yeah. a very non-obvious and part-times, uh, part-engineering, part-art type exercise. And uh, so maybe going into a little bit of the engineering side, talking through, like, what are people doing today to address this, you know, kind of, uh, it really, it's hallucinations, but when trying to implement discriminative AI solutions using LLMs. Yeah, I mean, um, so again, I wanna like break this down. There's a hallucination problem and then there's a problem of like, can I even get the LLM to do what I want it to 80 to 90% of the time? Um, and that's like fundamentally just a prompting problem. Yeah. Um, I mean, at some level, these are all prompting problems, um, but like uh, some of the tools that people seem to be using right now are things like, um, 
lang chain is an example or just like generally like prompt chaining where you might need to create a really sophisticated prompt but you might need the llm to generate things for you which you would then put into yet another prompt and you keep going until eventually you get to the final prompt shape that will then perform the task that you want um so that is an example of tooling that people have been using recently um there are lots of different types of tools in this space. There's Langchain, there's like Dust as an example. Um, there's also like introducing just the right context to the prompt by way of using something like a vector database like Pinecone or Chroma. Um, you know, it, that solves a slightly different problem of I want the I, I want the LLM to have exactly the right context to answer a question or to perform a task. And so I'm going to pick from like a bunch of possible chunks of that information. And I have a clever way of like indexing into it by way of similarity search. Uh, And I go grab just the right chunks and I insert it into my prompt. And then now my LLM has not only the instruction, but also some like potential examples or context to draw from. That's another uh, way that people are trying to solve this problem. Um, There are also things that are like downstream of this. So like address some of the hallucination stuff directly. Um, there's something like guardrails, which is just like a fairly simple, like validation library, essentially that like you take the output of an LLM and it either conforms to a spec that you defined or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, you know, and if it does, you know, and you can decide what you want to do with it from there. Um, and then most recently there's guidance from Microsoft, a a library called guidance. Um, maybe it's a library, but. I think it's a library or a framework. Uh, I don't quite know what you want to call it, but um, essentially a framework for Microsoft that takes over some of the validation stuff, but also some of like the prompt generation stuff, a little bit of like the prompt chaining stuff, some parallelism, some caching. It's like a lot more all encompassing. Um, So there's a lot of different ways people are addressing this, but like, frankly, I don't think a lot of these things have been in production for very long. So a lot of it is just like brand new. Yeah. And I mean, from our customer base and talking with other people working on integrating LLMs or playing with them in whatever capacity, it feels like, and definitely going through our own experiences of productionizing some of these L, uh, some of these LLM outputs, a lot of it is in that first generative kind of like generate then edit type applications. And there are not many people doing this truly in production and the scalable way for these discriminative use cases. And if they are... Uh, you know, hats off. It's, it's, it's quite a task. Um, yeah. I, I would say that like, just from talking with our customers, um, as you mentioned, like a lot of folks are just focused on like the generative side of it. A, because it's like net new features that can be shipped and it's like right. all the rage and B, um, in a lot of cases it's lower stakes. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes it's just like a big text box and you put some information in and there's another text box and you get some information out and then you can like decide what you want to do with it from there. Um, here, especially with like discriminative tasks, oftentimes there's a layer of indirection in between where, again, imagine this like hypothetical application where you like upload a document, like you don't necessarily have direct influence over what the LLM is doing. In the world of, I upload this document and I get a classification out the other end, the only influence I have over what the LLM is performing is the document itself. And that's not something that I can edit. That's not something I can change. The document is what the document is, and we call it a day there. Whereas in the case 
of a lot of these like generative AI functionalities, it's literally a text box where I can manipulate some amount of the prompt myself. Um, and I, as a result, I can influence the outcome. Um, so in that world, you have a little bit more leniency just because you're giving the users a little bit more control over how they want the output to be structured and what they want to accomplish out of it. Um, so at first glance, you'd imagine that discriminative tasks would be easier, but it's actually a lot harder as a side effect of how they're being used sort of downstream. And, you know, I think we can talk a little bit selfishly here. I do want to bring up, uh, this is a concept that we're definitely championing and building into our product, but this idea of prompt ensembling, I don't think we're necessarily the inventors of it, uh, but definitely we're building tooling to enable this. So maybe give that as a good segue is like, what is prompt ensembling, Cheyenne? Yeah. Um, so prompt, prompt ensembling is new. Um, and as you mentioned, like we didn't invent it, but we are very interested in it and we have been building stuff around it. But it's essentially the idea that um, like you want to collapse. So kind of the, the core assumptions you're making are that the LLM has knowledge of your task that you're trying to tap into. But because of the way LLMs work, you are stuck dealing with its hallucinations. And again, there are two classes of hallucinations. One is in sort of like structural hallucination. So I, it, it'll invent a sixth class where there isn't one or invent some text where there isn't any. Um, the other option is uh, it just gets the answer wrong. It's way easier to detect the latter type of hallucination and frankly, easier to maybe not correct it, but easier to sort of like identify that and disregard it. Um, it's much harder to identify the first type of hallucination of you just gave me the wrong answer, even though you actually know how to perform this task. So the whole notion of prompt ensembling is what if instead of putting all my hopes and dreams into one prompt, I create several slight variations of prompts. So I think anyone who's played around with GPT-3 or 4 um, has probably experienced this, but just like you take a prompt and you change like one relatively benign word in it and you end up getting a different outcome. It's not like, you know, orders of magnitude different. It's not like suddenly totally off base, but it's sometimes different. it is. It's, it's different, right? It's like how it, how polite am I feeling to chat GPT during at the day? Like that's yeah. going to change the types of tokens that I deliver at the beginning, which ultimately will change my, over, like, hopefully not overall, but it does ma materially change the answers. Yeah. And I mean, like we've seen this even just like changing a four, like an FOR to a two, a TO, uh, like that will change the entire output structure for some reason, even, even if that's like in a benign place in the prompt. Um, so the whole idea is that if you had a prompt and you create several variations of it, where the expectation is that fundamentally these things should overlap pretty well. They're not going to be perfect, but they're going to be like pretty solidly overlapping. Then we can learn statistically what the likely outcome should be. And therefore we can infer what is likely hallucination, what is likely not, what does the output structure need to look like? What shouldn't it look like? There are a whole bunch of things that we can do with that. Um, now there, there are natural obvious limitations to this, like especially now where, um, you know, the most obvious one is you went from having one prompt that you're running to like maybe five to 10, uh, depending on the use case, which means that you're going from like one X 
open AI costs or whatever vendor you're using to like five to 10 X those costs, depending on like token counts. Um, that's potentially expensive. You know, that, that's a very real limitation. The other limitation is like rate limiting. Um, especially if you're using like a, an open AI type model where it's hosted somewhere else and you're not hosting it internally. Um, you just went from only hitting rate limits in certain cases with like one prompt to now you're hitting rate limits all the time because you're trying to run like five to 10 prompts on every single piece of data. So that's expensive. Now, they're like trade-offs with all of these things. Um, I would choose prompt ensembling when you want to kind of guarantee quality of data and quality of output. So like you want your output to fit a certain structure and you don't want to just throw away data intermittently. So if it does hallucinate a new sixth class, like you don't want to just throw that away in the same way that like, if you were to upload a document to this like hypothetical application, if the model, if the LLM under the hood hallucinates a sixth class, you don't want to just like throw that classification away and not show a user classification. You want to show the user something. So in this way, you can kind of guarantee that like somewhere along the lines, you will be able to show them something and statistically infer what should happen in that particular case. Um, second thing is in the case that a prompt gets it wrong, that's okay. You have like four or five other prompts that probably got it right or closer to right. And you have a bunch of statistical knowledge about how they've been performing on similar tasks such that you can learn from them. Um, more mechanically, there are like lots of different ways to go about prompt ensembling. As you can imagine, there are lots of different ways you can ensemble the outcomes of prompts and like learn from them. Um, that technique of ensembling is like nothing new. Model ensembling has been a thing for a really long time where, you know, people have been thinking about this for a while. So, you know, and ostensibly for at watchful programmatic labeling is just a form of ensembling multiple different signals where in this case, it can be multiple prompts in addition to some external knowledge base, crowdsource labels, keywords, dictionaries, whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In, in watchful vernacular, you can create what we call hinters, which are just like heuristic indicators of possible classifications. They can be simple queries. Um, one of these queries could be a prompt or like a building block of a prompt. And you can stitch that together with other things. Like if the LLM seems to think that there are words in this document that indicate payment, um, and I also see that the title, you know, as, as a secondary appendage to this query, uh, the title seems to have the word like employment in it, then it's likely an employment contract as opposed to an NDA, you know? So like you can stitch these things together that way, um, and then learn statistically what the likely outcome should be. Um, and in our mind, like not, not to change the subject super hard. I, it, it's related. Like a lot of this work is going into prompting because that is the easiest way to validate that your model can do what you want it to, or that you can like tune right. it to what you want it to. Um, and also out of necessity, because like, frankly, we don't have fine tuning APIs for most of the models that people want to use. Um, so you end up in this interesting place where you might end up exploding the number of prompts that you have, but eventually we will have fine-tuning APIs. And the question is, okay, I've got these like five to 10 prompts. I have some data that I've run it on and I feel it's comfortable, like it's good. Now what? Well, in theory, in that world, you can take that data, you can run it through the fine-tuner, uh, the fine-tuning process. And now you can collapse what used to take 10 prompts into something that can take one prompt, simply because you went through the process of fine-tuning it. Um, 
So we, we see that as like the emerging workflow as people start thinking about LLMs in more um, structured ways. Yeah. And so maybe to, to collapse that down a little bit, at least for now, and like everything can change, you know, all of a sudden maybe API calls or order of magnitude or two less or something like that. And all of this is just gravy. But a good way to think about maybe is a when to use prompt ensembling is definitely in that uh, proof of concept phase. Can I do this effectively, maybe, uh, instead of stretch, spending so much time on individual prompts or implementing like uh, prompt chaining or some sort of uh, control library like guidance or guardrails. Um, instead, I can iterate quickly, just like you said, we anybody that's literate can iterate on prompts and uh, either one, decompose a, a particular classification or task into constituent smaller, like quote, theoretically simpler tasks. Or I really liked the approach uh, that you described was uh, providing a little variation on kind of the same task, um, but not having complete reliance on the quality of one individual one, but instead enable like having some maybe jitters, the right word, I don't know, some variation uh, to ensure that you have quality outputs. Yeah, I, I can maybe like try and simplify this. If so you're trying to build um, prompts so that you can feed a downstream system um, using output from an LLM. If you are okay with like um, throwing away results, but still fitting the result into a structured output. So you need structure, but you're okay with not having an output every so often. Um, something like guardrails or guidance is probably fine. Um, in a world where the cost of getting something wrong is fairly high uh, and you also need structure, then prompt ensembling is probably what you want to reach for. Um, if you're just trying to get something to work and you want to show something interesting, uh, prompt chaining is probably good enough as is, and you might not even need like a guardrails type of thing or a guidance. Um, it's worth noting that these are all like, these are not necessarily mutually exclusive either. Right. Like uh, you can have chains ensembled as part of prompt ensembling. Um, you can use something like guidance as part of your prompting mechanism to then go into prompt ensembling. So like, it's worth noting that you can pull together your own solution from these things. But like a general framework is if you need your data to be quality, if you need the output of an LM to be quality, um, then prompt ensembling is generally a good thing to reach for. Um, so yeah. So, you know, I'll use this opportunity for the maybe, maybe a little bit more than soft pitch for watchful. Why, why wouldn't I just try to ensemble my prompts myself? Why, why should I use watchful? Yeah. I mean, like the big question is how are you going to ensemble them? Um, and like, why are you going to ensemble it that way versus another? They're like very obvious ways to do it. Like you can do majority vote type things. Like there's a whole bunch of literature out there. Um, ultimately the question is like, how are you going to build a workflow around this such that you can iterate quickly? And then how are you going to learn from the results such that you can build a system that generalizes? We've already done that. So we have a workflow where you can like very easily prompt, like retrofit that output over your data, see what works, see what doesn't stitch that together into like queries. We'll even suggest stuff to you. Like all of that just kind of happens automatically. And then you as a user or you as like an organization don't have to think about like, how do I mathematically pull all this stuff together? All of it is already explainable and watchful. And if you want to like tweak any of it, you can. Um, so that is the not so soft pitch for watchful. We do all of the hard stuff so that you don't have to, and you can actually focus on what you probably care about, which is 
how do I ship this like really cool LLM enabled feature in my application to my users? Yeah, 100%. Maybe I'll add one thing. Uh, the ability to combine with other sources of signal, right? It's not, it, prompt ensembling is not the end all be all for all tasks. And we can leverage much less sexy compute, maybe is how I'll refer, refer to it. Um, even simple keywords or dictionaries or something like that have a very clear, uh, interpretable and explainable pane of glass, so to speak, for in understanding what's going into your training data or the labels that are being produced from your data and a, and a uh, layer in which you can tune, you know, kind of the impact of those individual signals. Yep, absolutely. Awesome. Well, Cheyenne, I really enjoyed the conversation. I think we dove uh, deeper into really how can how can we embed large language models into our applications and kind of what those what those look like, some different tools, and you know a little soft pitch for what we're doing here at Watchful with prompt ensembling. So uh, I'll shout out if anybody is interested in what we're doing, please reach out uh, www.watchful.io. We'd love to chat. Anybody working on any sort of integrated LLM capabilities, uh, always interesting to chat. So with that, I'll wrap up. Uh, really appreciate the time, Cheyenne. Uh, again, everybody, please follow, like, subscribe, uh, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you can get podcasts today. If you like this content, please reach out, let us know. Uh, and so great. I really enjoyed the conversation and uh, look forward to our next episode. Thanks, Thanks everybody. again for having me. Yeah, this is fun. See you. Bye.